You're listening to the Business with Purpose podcast with your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. This podcast takes you behind the scenes with some of the world's most generous entrepreneurs, from the CEOs of mission-driven brands to directors of small community nonprofits and everything in between. Molly is sitting down with men and women who believe in changing the world not only through their personal lives, but also their professional careers. And now, here's Molly. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Business with Purpose podcast. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. We have nearly 50 episodes in the archives with so many amazing entrepreneurs, CEOs, nonprofit directors, and people that are just changing the world right where they are. So definitely be sure to take a listen. And if you are a regular listener, thank you so much for your support week in and week out. Hearing you sharing the show with your friends and family, hearing how you like to listen to the show, all the amazing companies that you're learning about, seriously, it makes what I do so worth it, and I really, really appreciate your feedback and your support and your encouragement. If you have not already, be sure to head on over to iTunes and leave the show a review. That just really helps me to know what you guys are liking, if you guys have any guest requests, or just... Honestly, it encourages me to know how this show is making an impact. I want to read this review that says, The Most Inspiring Podcast. It says, Molly is an incredibly inspiring person and speaker. Her passion and humor make this podcast not only informative, but so much fun to listen to. These interviews are fueling my own passion and desire to make a real difference with my business. I can't recommend this podcast enough. Thank you so much for that review. Like I said, they really do mean the world to me. And they just motivate me to make this podcast just bigger and better than ever. So thank you guys so much. Now, my guest today is Yomi Abiola. Yomi is incredible, you guys. She is a former supermodel. Yes, a supermodel. She modeled for Maybelline and so many amazing big companies and magazines and on runways. And she left modeling to pursue dedicating her life to the advancement of women. She travels all over the world speaking to women and girls about how they can empower themselves to supporting women to live their most power-filled lives. She's a journalist. She's an advocate. She's an activist. She speaks out on diversity and fashion. She's so many amazing things. And honestly, I just felt such a connection to her. And like I said, I just I adored my time with her. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Yomi. Hi, Yomi. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I am doing fantastic. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm really, you know, I, I think so many people use the word excited a lot, but I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. Me too. Me too. You know, when I first came across you and I don't, I, you know, sometimes people are like, well, how did you find me? And I say, sometimes you just end up in that internet rabbit hole and you don't really know how. <laughs> I know. I So often people say to me, and I, I shouldn't really confess this uh, publicly, but so often people say to me, so what are you doing tonight, Yomi? And my um, ongoing response is that I'm making love to the laptop, which, <laughs> which is not, it's not something I should be proud of. But um, yeah. Well, I, I think um, it's one of those things where, um, and this is one of the things I'm so excited to talk to you about, other than just hearing your story and getting to know you. Um, I think it's one of those things that w- w- I found you when I was, uh, and, and I mean this in a really good way, but a couple months ago, I was I was feeling frustrated. And I was feeling mm. frustrated because I was having a really hard time finding, um, and this is me just being very frank and very honest, I was having a hard time finding diverse voices in the ethical fashion space. Mm-hmm. And it was something that I was just like, I know they're out there. I know they are. And I want to hear from them. And I started just doing just every type of Google search and, you know, uh, hashtag search and all that. And I came across you you and your work. And I just, I it was one of those things. And I mean this not in a creepy way, but I fell in love with you because I was like, she is amazing. And I said, she's beautiful. She's smart. But I love the, the voice that you bring to the table and your heart for um, you know, your your love of fashion, but more importantly, your your heart for seeing um, seeing women empowered in fashion, seeing diversity in fashion, um, and and really sharing so much of what I'm passionate about, which is um, you know, ethical fashion and and talking about the importance of sustainable fashion and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So there's so much that I want to talk to you about. Um, but before we get into all of that, 
I would love if you would just sort of introduce yourself to our guests. Give us the Yomi 101. So tell us your story, you know, where you're from, what, what have you done in your life that's led you to where you are today? And, and you, you told me before we started recording that you're in New York city right now. So, (laughs) yeah, so I'm current, currently in New York and I um, spend my time between New York, London and Stockholm. I'm now, my my commitment and my dedication is to the advancement of women. Mm, Uh, And I don't, um, I know a lot of people talk about empowerment, but I know that women are already exceptionally powerful. Yes. And what what I think um, needs to happen is the the recognition, the unveiling and the utilization of that power, which is what I've dedicated myself to. And I do that through building community with women. I do that through media. I do that through um, speaking. And um, I do that through going into corporations and building female leadership capacity. Mm. So um, I have a media platform that's called the Fem League. And uh, our commitment is just to supporting women uh, to live their most power-filled lives. Mm. And how did I get there <laughs> is um, I always say to people, you know, the conversations that I have with women around women and power came from the experience of, of feeling powerless, mm. not being powerless, but yeah. feeling powerless. And I think um, a lot of that happened in my career as a model. So in my formative years, I was in front of the camera and on the days that I was chosen or I was validated, or I was told that I was beautiful, you know, those were my most excellent days. Mm-hmm. I skyrocketed. And on the days um, that I wasn't chosen, I wasn't told that I was beautiful, I wasn't perfect or right for a specific job, then my self-worth, my self-confidence, my self-value plummeted. Mm. And I think it's just, it was a very interesting experience because um, the obsession, the, the, the issues that plague women later in life um, are, are often in, the, in like, you know, they, they, they stem from the industry, they stem from other things, but they stem from the industry. One of the, um, the things that I heard ongoing or I experienced is that as we appreciate, as we mature as women, that our value decreases, mm. which is why there's a lot of youth obsession. And I, I, I thought about it in terms of economics and I thought about it in terms of saving money and I thought to myself if I put um, a dollar in the bank every single day you know for 20 years the promise that I get is that that money will appreciate with time right and I said so why would that be the opposite why would my worth my value um, to society why would that why would the law of diminishing returns apply to me as a human Mm. being and that was not something that I was willing to accept. Um, so I decided that I was going to start having conversations with women. And it first started um, on university campuses where I was speaking to women about um, knowing their worth and their value and body image yeah. and also bridging the gap between fantasy and reality. Yeah. And then it broadened and it broadened to not just working um, with with young women, but working with women of all ages because I think a lot of the value for us as women is being able to have cross-generational conversation. Yeah. So just exactly what you're doing with your platform, Molly, is, you know, sharing wisdom and giving women a platform to to share their wisdom and their experiences and how they've grown and what we've learned. And I think that that's so powerful and essential and I really do have um, fashion to thank for that because of course there are some exceptionally beautiful um, and powerful aspects of fashion which is the creativity and um, the beauty and in some in some cases some of the work that I've done which has impacted the industry diversity but there are also some some aspects that I feel are greatly lacking. And if I hadn't had the experience of not knowing that, I wouldn't have known that that was going to be my unique contribution to the world. Right, right. So um, <laughs> long story short, I was first and foremost a model, saw some issues in the fashion industry, became a journalist, um, went to journalism school. 
had done some advocacy work like in my youth because I came from a very dynamic family and my um, father was in politics. So I'd already started to know what the power of using your voice was. Um, and then so I coupled my curiosity for people, my journalism, my background in fashion and my need to see social change. I packaged that together and I'm now out in the world um, touching the lives of women and really supporting us in standing in the fullness of our power. I love that so much. And I love how you have taken all of the things that you've done in your past and you've you've said, you know, you've taken what you've done and you've learned from it and you've seen how that has been a building block to what you do now. Because if you hadn't have had those experiences, like you said, if you hadn't had those experiences as a model, then you would not have had, you know, you wouldn't have been able to see things through that lens. Because yeah. I can only imagine, and I'd love for you to kind of share, what are some of the things, well, I guess first, how did you get into modeling and when did you get into modeling? And and when you got into modeling, was it one of those things that in your mind it was everything you expected it would be? Were there things that surprised you? And and what about it has really affected the lens that you see things through, especially when it comes to the fashion industry and 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 you know how women see themselves and see other women today? Mm-hmm. So um, I'm going to do my best to answer your question. So uh, first and foremost, very simply, um, I got into modeling at the age of 15. I won a competition in London where I was born. And, you know, at the time, I, I and I've said this before, I just like I, I saw um, some incredible models. I'm like, I really, really want to do that. Mm-hmm. And as, as I've matured as a woman, I realized that it was a call to be seen. And it was, I, I wanted my image and my likeness to be validated. Mm. Um, and, and there's, there's something really, um, there's something really empowering about that. You know, there's there, the, the, the examples being able to see an example and live into the, the example or use that example as your North star, I think is very, very important. Yeah. Um, and so that was what, uh, that, that was what drew me and it just, it seemed like a very innocent choice, but I didn't really know how my values and my sense of self would be challenged and how I would be called to dig deeper and find something that was more stable than yeah. my appearance. Mm. And I think that is what, that is what really, um, drives me because I, I know, like, I, I have amazing female role models in my life, but I know that that women, the power of women is um, gigantic. Yes. And we, we can't cap it based on what we look like. Mm, yeah, completely. You know, that, that can't just, be, that can't be the limit. <laughs> because there, there's, there, there are so many other incredible things that we do in the world. Um, a lot of those things don't haven't necessarily been put into language. And if they're not put into language, then they're not quantified. If they're not quantified, they're not counted. They're not counted. They don't exist. Right. You know, so if we're just focusing on, okay, like what we look like or how much weight we've we've put on or, you know, does this look good on us? That that is really ca- that's capping our potential. Right. We can talk about, you know, fashion and um, and beauty and how we are going to transform the world. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So all of those things can live together. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it's funny, too, when you think about when society and when the media and all these things, you know, portray this Im- or this, you know, facade, if you will, of, you know, you have to be beautiful in order to be successful. And and what does the standard of beauty look like? But then it's so interesting when you um, I, I read I came across an article the other day that was like talking about the different standards of beauty around the world and how mm-hmm. different that can be. And mm-hmm. I remember having a conversation on one of my trips to Kenya. Um, I was having a conversation with one of our um, the the our teammates who who's he's Kenyan he lives in Kenya and we were just talking about something and um we got on the, the conversation of dowries 
Mm-hmm. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking, yeah. like, I don't, I don't, I mean, this whole concept is so fascinating to me. And I was asking him because, you know, he was saying how he and his wife have been married 15 years and he's still paying the dowry on his wife. Oh, wow. And he was talking about how <gasps> wow, the different, incredible. isn't that amazing? And I was, I was just, my mind was blown, but he was explaining to me like the different types of things that can basically up the price of your wife and the, the things that they consider beautiful. And he was saying like how, if you have a gap in your tooth, like that is considered very beautiful and that's extra. And like, mm-hmm. if you're a little bit heavier set, like that's extra, like they, that's more mm-hmm. beautiful. And so he was like, you know, saying all these things that are all these characteristics that there are incredibly valuable. Cause like, I was like, why the gap in the tooth? And he said, it means you can build a fire because you can blow the air through your teeth. And I was like, what? Like, but I mean, it was just one of those things that was just very amazing to me of, and they literally put a price on it there in that culture the 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 interesting thing the fascinating thing is that the same thing happens in france Mm -hmm. or in america or in the united kingdom it's just the the language around it is different yeah if you think about the the level of access one of the things that i've been reading a lot about or at least browsing about is this um, notion of pretty privilege Mm. right which is more or less the same thing that do you have more privilege based on your level of attractiveness? Fascinating. So, yeah, I mean, but I mean, it, 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 like there, there are tons of articles out there right now and, and may, and maybe, you know, um, you, you might, a lot of uh, wealthy, powerful men decide that they want to um, marry women that um, look a certain way. Maybe it's their thigh gap, or maybe it's the you know size of their breasts, or maybe it's whether they have blonde hair or brunette hair. You know, like every culture has that, right? Right. Um, and so, yeah, of course, in in Kenya, it's about maybe maybe it's grounded in some more practical things like yeah. um, you know the gap in the tooth. But um, but I think what's very interesting is that in other cultures, like let's just just for argument's sake, let's talk about Western cultures. Um, maybe it hasn't even been articulated in that way. Yeah. Um, and based on that, we d- we don't actually know that it's going on when it is going on. Oh, completely. And that's such a great point. It's it's definitely not something I've really, I think, outwardly thought about. But as soon as you said mm-hmm. it, I said, oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you, you'll hear, you know, of, you know, certain people being promoted within a job mm-hmm. because of the way they look or exactly. especially women in the workforce. Um, yeah. And in corporate America, you see it all the time. And then, of course, in it happens in Hollywood. It happens in the fashion exactly. industry. I mean, it happens in music. Exactly. That's and one that's of the reasons the I love the level of awareness yes. for women is so essential because it is happening. Yes. And we can't measure ourselves according to that bar because it doesn't allow us to, to excel beyond our physical appearance. Right. Absolutely. That's the stock that we invest in. And that's not our, that's not our, our greatest stock. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I, I was thinking more about one of the things you mentioned earlier, which is the how you you started to learn about this whole idea of our value decreasing as we age. And I mm-hmm. and I I'd be curious for you to share a little bit more about that because that's def I mean it's one of those things that when you said it I said you're right, but then I also I wonder is that industry specific? Is it culture specific? Is it life, you know, kind of just life in general. Um, and it, it's interesting because, you know, I, I'll be 32 in August. And I I <laughs> think, I know, but it's one of those things that I'm like, I, I think I'm young. I'm like, I think I'm young. I've still got a lot of life left to live. I've got a lot of things to do. And, you know, and I'm more confident in my 30s than I ever was in my 20s or in my teens. And, you know, life experiences, I, you know, I continue to to try to learn from what I've, you know, what I've been through. And I, I think about like, man, if if the next 10 years are as different for me as the past, as the last 10 years were, mm-hmm. what is my life going to look like when I'm 42? And, mm-hmm. but then I also think about like, but when I was in high school or even college, 32 just sounded so old. <laughs> but now I'm like, I'm not old. I'm, 
like I'm still like in my in my head. I'm so much younger than I actually am. Um, but I don't know. I would be curious to hear your thoughts on just do you think that that's something that is industry specific or do, where do you think that that all stems from and why do you think there is this um, this notion that we are value and you know decreases with age and do you think it's just for women or do you think it's for men as well well i i'll ask you i'll answer a question with a question Mm -hmm. when um uh you know a gentleman has like salt and pepper hair and he's older some of the what what are some of the adjectives that are used to describe him silver fox yeah, right? <laughs> the silver fox. Distinguished, you know? <laughs> Distinguished, yes. Um, and, 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 and think about the, the same equivalent for a woman. Mm, yeah. Okay. Um, you, you know, it's, it's, it's again, you know, it's, it's all the things that we have to examine, have to awaken to, have to be conscious of. And I think for women as well, it has a lot to do with... Um, with our biological clock. Right. Right. So um, the conversations that, that, that people have with you when you're entering um, your 30s uh, about the life choices that you have to make and then the changes, the, 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 the changes that the seasons that we enter into as women mean that we, we, we need to give more thought than men do. Right. But um, I think that the way that society at large has come to view maturing women um, is really based on whether we are still fertile or not. Mm. You know, that's such a great point because I was actually having this conversation with a friend of mine a couple weeks ago and we were talking about how, you know, and I don't know what what exactly the age threshold is and I don't know that there is a specific one, but it's like there comes a point in – an adult's life, male or female, where if you're a woman and you're not married and you don't have kids or you are married and you don't have kids, everybody's asking you why. But yeah. for men, it's like if he, if you meet a man who's in his early 30s and not married, it people don't bat an eye at it. And yeah. – they're just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, he's just living the single life. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, exactly, exactly. It's fine. It's but yeah, it's it's so interesting how there's this societal pressure that if you are a woman and not married by a certain age, then you are not, you know, insert whatever societal pressure people want to put on you <laughs> or. You know, you know, our people start to question, you know, ask questions about your lifestyle. I mean, you know, just there's all these things that people start to wonder. And I don't know exactly what the what the age threshold is, but um, yeah, it's but a very what? it doesn't matter because that's exactly what we're transforming. Right. We transform the age threshold. Right. I mean, no one gets to dictate that. Nobody should get to dictate that. Exactly. exactly. Nobody should get to dictate that. Um, I yeah. I, and and that, that you know that's part of those are, that that's part of the insights that I had, and I realized that these sorts of conversations and these sorts of um, constructs were really limiting the evolution of women. Hmm. Because trust me, if you know what you said, Molly, at thirty-two, almost thirty-two, that you feel more competent, you feel more confident. You know your life is going really well. If that gets interrupted by the fact that you're worried about, I don't know whether you're in a relationship or not, but you're worried about whether you're going to have babies or you're, you know, worried about the wrinkles or the crow feet or the this or the complexion, or am I the same size as I was when I was 17? I mean, come on. Right, (laughs) right. Yeah, it's a distraction. It's a heavy distraction. And I feel like it just doesn't allow women to really um, fully step into their zone and um, really own what's going on right now because we really true power appreciates with time and we just get better with age I agree and I think um I am I'm I'm married and I have two kids um wow yeah but I it's funny I think a lot of I was saying this to another friend I I think a lot of my self-confidence actually comes from having children and and 
being yes. married, but not, and I don't mean that in a like, if you're not married and you don't have kids, then you're going to be not self-confident. But I think for me, it was, um, because I'm actually, I'm the, the largest size I've ever been, but I'm actually probably in the best shape I've ever been, mm, but having kids change my body so much, um, mm-hmm. Even I got down to my pre-pregnancy weight before my daughter, but I was still two sizes bigger just because my bones expanded, like my body just changed. And mm-hmm. and I've gotten to the point where I just, I've accepted that and I'm okay mm-hmm. with that. And I know what my body was capable of. My, my, my body grew two humans and, you know, I... It's the size know, of a miracle. Right. And, and, but then also I've had that, I think the one thing that I have struggled with and I would say in the last year, it's been a little bit better. Um, and I've really gotten to a point where I feel like I've hit a stride. But in the first couple years after having my daughter, the thing I struggled with the most was really where I where I place my identity. And do I place my identity in being a mother? Do I place my identity in my job? Um, I, you know, I'm a blogger and a podcaster. And so I work from home. And mm. but a lot of times in the first couple of years, when people ask me, what did I do? I would just say like, oh, you know, like, I just stay home with my kids. Like, and then I would think about, no, I also work from home. Like, I yes, I stay home with both of my children. But I also work from home and I work hard and I earn an well, income. And is um, like the, the, exactly what you're talking about. These are like the women's circles and the communities that I build mm-hmm. through the family, our power filled circles. This is all the stuff that we tackle and yeah. talk about. Yeah. Because remember, like at the beginning of this conversation, I said to you that there are so many things that we do as women Mm -hmm. that are not quantified. And when they're not quantified, they're not counted. When they're not counted, they don't have value. Right. And this is, this is the, this is the labor that hasn't been put into language and hasn't been counted. There's a a wonderful um, economist. She's a Swedish economist and her name is Katrine Marsal. And she wrote this book called Who Who Cooked Adam Smith's Dinner? And, you know, she talks about this, all of the invisible work that women do. And and and, and, and it breaks my heart when I hear people say, oh, you know, I'm just a mom. Mm. Yes, me too. Where where would we be? You know, where would we be? Even just think about like the physical investment, talkless of the, the care, the nurturing, you know, the, the worrying, all of the things that women do. But I think it's very, very important that we start to articulate what it is that we do. And the, and it starts with us first, being able to actually acknowledge it as work. Absolutely. Being able to acknowledge and be like, actually, you know what, this is work. And so in the Powerfield programs um, that I've created, we have different areas that we you can power fill your life, right? right. That's the premise. So you can have power-filled health. You know, what you said is so important, Molly. It's like you are the, in the, the, you're the strongest that you've ever been physically. Right. Right. So does it, does it make sense to, to, to strive for this image that, that that's false, but isn't your most, most healthiest body? Right. Right. These yeah. Are the kind of questions, you know, so. We, we deal with all of these aspects because I know that women are powerful and power in, in our society is something that at times somebody bestows upon you. Maybe it's a title, maybe it's a position, maybe it's whether you're married or unmarried. But I know that power is something that comes from within and we can fill every single area of our life with power. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think a lot of that, too, you know, and it's interesting, like, you know, we were having that conversation about, you know, your value depreciating with age. But it's funny, you know, I just I think a lot of it does come with age and maturity and life experience and just really learning, you know, what's important and 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 what to say yes to what to say no to. And um, for me, I've just really tried to do a lot of kind of self work in the last Mm -hmm. year, year and a half. Mm -hmm. Of really, you know, 
I think for a long time, I placed my identity in my job. And then in the early mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. of my of motherhood, I placed my identity in being a mom. And then I realized, mm-hmm. like, you know what, I don't, you know, I'm I'm a believer. So, like, I realized that I had to kind of come from a position of, like, I have to find my identity in God because that is, like, mm-hmm. that is where I have – that is where my self-worth comes from. And if I try to put my self-worth in the things of this world, whether that be motherhood motherhood, or my job or my friends or title. You know, title, how much money I make or how much I volunteer, like if I place my Instagram self-worth followers. in – Right, yes, yeah, social, oh, social media, that's a whole other conversation for another day. You know, but when you place your worth in those things, you're always going to come up short because you're going to find yourself in that comparison game and you're going to find yourself – saying, well, she has more followers than I do, or she does this better than I do, or whatever. She's got it all together. And the moment that we just all come to each other and we just look each other in the eye and we have these real conversations, conversations like you and I are having or, you know, other conversations I've had with other women or just conversations you have with a girlfriend over a glass of wine or a cup of coffee or whatever, you have the real conversations and say, you know what? All of us are totally messed up and (laughs) we all are flawed, but let's have each other's back. Let's, you know, we all make mistakes. Let's, let's encourage each other. Let's cheer each other on. Let's stop trying to compare ourselves and put, put our, you know, put ourselves, give ourselves these unrealistic expectations. The sooner we can have those conversations and move past that, the sooner, like you said, we can really fill ourselves with power and know where our power and our, and our worth comes from. And make the, I mean, we've already start. we've already been doing it, but make the contribution See, the thing is that the evolution of, of, of society depends on women standing in the fullness of their power. Exactly. You know, that. I mean, that's like the, the evolution of our society depends on that. And, you know, the, the, the I mean, yeah. Well, that, you <laughs> I know, could talk about it forever. Oh, yes. But that actually leads me to another thing I wanted to talk about. But um, when you say that the evolution of our society um, you know, really stems on women knowing their worth and knowing their power. Um, this is something that is one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about um, ethical fashion and supporting, um, you know, artisans around the world and developing nations. Um, and I've had this conversation on this on this sh- podcast before, um, but there's a fascinating stat I, I learned this spring. And it was one of those things that I think I knew it, But when I read the stat, it made me just that much more fired up about this. Um, But women, when a woman in a developing nation is employed, and this can also apply to um, first world countries as well, but especially in the developing world, when a woman is employed, she invests 90% of her income back to her community. 90%. When a man is employed in a developing nation, they invest 30%. 30%. Mm-hmm. And the power that that has by giving a woman an opportunity, giving a woman a job, making sure that she, um, you know, that she's able to take care of her family so that her children can have an education, the ripple effect that that has is so unbelievably powerful. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd love for you to kind of share your perspective, having you know, been in the fashion industry um, and kind of coming from that world and, and now all the, the, the advocacy work that you do and the social change work that you do, um, what your perspective is and what your experience has been. Um, because this is something that I just, I sometimes get a little disenfranchised when I see some fashion brands that come out with these women empowerment campaigns and they're all like all about, oh, women empowerment, women empowerment, you know, wear this dress and it'll make you feel beautiful. But then the fact of the matter is, is that the woman who made that dress was not working in safe conditions or she wasn't mm-hmm. able to see her children or she wasn't able to go to school or she doesn't make enough money to support her family. But the woman who's going to wear that dress is empowered. So why, you yeah. know, where the, where it gets lost. Anyway, I realize that's a lot, but... <laughs> No, no, it's not a lot at all. But the thing is that, like, and that's like, is the is the woman who wears that dress really empowered? You mm-hmm. know, if like, mm-hmm. and that, and that's the thing. But you know, it's so interesting that we think in terms of over here and over there, um, because we're all connected. At the end of the day, the person that's wearing 
those clothes um, is as guilty as um, as the factory owner that's making these women uh, work in substandard conditions and paying them nothing. Mm-hmm. There, 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 there's a demand at the end of the day. And yeah. so we, we can also address it from, from the point and from the place of demand. Right. And, you know, it's, it's no different from all of these. One of my colleagues from journalism school did an exceptional piece on the women that are working in the nail salons and being paid absolutely nothing. Yes, yes. It's, it's the same thing. It's the same thing as the, um, the, the immigrants that provide childcare mm-hmm. for, for the women that are able to have, uh, in, in some cases, high-powered careers. Right. It's so very important for us to start to think in terms of how do we also lift up our sisters. Right. Because the oppression of one woman is the oppression of all of us, mm. whether direct or indirect. We just can't pretend anymore. Yep, yep. And so it's, of course, I, I'm, I'm enraged. And of course, I do my best not to, to participate in, in those sorts of activities. I actually have been to Bangladesh um, mm. and, and, and I visited Rana Plaza. Oh, but wow. At times, Molly, what I think happens is sometimes... When we when we look over there, it it means that we're not looking at what's happening in our own backyard, mm-hmm. and what is it that we can do to be accountable? And we can do like maybe it's having a conversation with that friend that we know, you know, shops fast fashion, or you know, what can we do in our own backyard to to shift the needle and to start the transformation that evidently needs to happen? Absolutely. You know, when we think about it at the end of the day, like we are always stronger together. We're stronger in community. And, you know, I think sometimes we can get into this and especially, you know, with social media and the Internet and all that stuff you get. It can be really easy to make things about us and make it all about us and make us be self-centered. But at the end of the day, you know. I I don't know. I think it's something that I feel very called to do of just I want to help people. I want to help people in my community. I want to help people, um, you know, around the world. And, and it's not that I think that I can solve all of the world's issues and I can solve all of the world's, you know, problems. And I can, you know, I'm the cure for the <laughs> for the, you know, issues in the fashion industry. I don't think that at all. But I think that when I I do see the value of doing my part one step at a time Mm -hmm. and if I can help one person and that person helps one person and that person helps one person and, and, you know, if I can do the best I can to educate people and have – you know, meaningful conversations and get to know people and, and, and love my family well and raise my children well. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, at the end, you know, my husband and I were having this conversation because my, my husband and I had very different upbringings and I'll keep this short, but (laughs) my husband was very, um, you know, he was really great at sports. He was really, really smart in school, like got straight A's, never missed a day. And, you know, in school was a little harder for me. I just, I wasn't, you know, as athletically and academically gifted as he was. And, um, you know, we obviously grew up in, in different cultures in the United States. Um, but, you know, we both agree. And one of the things I said, you know, with our kids, if they grow up and if in, when they're in school, if they have good grades, great. If they're great at sports, great. But at the end of the day, I I want them to go into life and be prepared for the world. And I want them to be known as as being generous and kind and and and, you know, loving and strong, smart, intelligent people, if they are, if they have the best grades and they're the best at athletics, but they're selfish and self-centered and, you know, they're hoarders and they are, you know, all about themselves, that's not the kind of child I want to raise, you know? That's also about values. um, Right. Molly, you know, about where we place our values 
what we deem to be um, more valuable. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I think everything that that you're that you're teaching and steeping your children in is is preparing them to to live an extraordinary life. Mm-hmm. Mm. And and I think it's so important for us to. That's why, I, as I told you, like I had a great school because. There were some values um, mirrored to me in in my first profession that they weren't they weren't my values. Right, right. It just wasn't it just wasn't who I was, and but more importantly, it wasn't who I wanted to be or yeah. become. Yeah. And I and I couldn't allow myself to be beholden to 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 values that had short legs. They weren't going to carry me um, into into the future that uh, that I desired to to create and live into. Absolutely. Now, what gave you the desire to go into journalism? And um, where did you go to journalism school? And, and what have you done in that field? So I, um, the desire was that, that I saw so many injustices in the industry. And I knew that, um, that as, like, as a model, actually, even even as a model, I had a bachelor's or I have a bachelor's in politics and international relations. So I think it was also just being, um, being, being a woman and wanting to overachieve, I guess. No, I understand. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, I decided to go to journalism school. I went to Columbia, um, in New York city. Yeah. It's a great journalism Um, school. It really, like, I'm so grateful for my time there and the education that I got there. And it was important for me to go to the best journalism school because I knew that as a model, as a, as a woman and as a black woman, I would, I would be questioned, Mm. you know, I definitely would be questioned. So, um, then I went to school in Paris. I went to Sciences Politique, Mm. um, in Paris, um, also just to like reinforce the education and, and and just build my confidence in in a field that was new to me. Mm. And after that, um, I I worked a little bit in France, and then I um, started writing for Italian Vogue um, online and Luomo Vogue, which is um, a great experience because I got to write about things that were very important to me and things that I felt would not necessarily be highlighted in the fashion industry right. unless. Um, Unless somebody was um, committed to that, to those stories. Absolutely. Um, I would love if you would kind of share with us um, just some of your experience and some of your thoughts and on where things have sort of come from and where they've um, how they've progressed and where they're going as far as diversity and fashion. Um, like I'd said at the beginning, one of the one of the ways that I found you was. Um, you know, I was feeling frustrated in that I was I was wanting diverse voices in the fashion industry, but especially diverse voices when it comes to um, the fashion industry and um, social change. Um, mm-hmm. And and I'm like I I'm like I know they're there, um, but they're hard to find, and and I don't. Um, I don't know what that stems from, but I would you know I, I actually found. Um, in my in my internet rabbit hole, <laughs> I found a, a video that you had done a few years ago, and I I can't remember if it was with the Huffington Post or something, but it was where you'd sat down and you and and another reporter you'd gone with Plank on Mike.com. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, where you guys went through the magazines okay. and you went through a bunch of major fashion magazines and you pulled out every ad. And you put two stacks, a stack of if the ad had a white person or if it had a person of any other race. And it was something like 96 white ads to 13 and a half ads of women um, or models of color. And so and, and I know that video is a couple years old, um, but I guess I just would love for you to kind of share what has your experience been with regards to diversity in fashion and, and what do you you know, where where has it been and where do you kind of see it going? Um, I think that, you know, a lot of people have had conversations um, about diversity in fashion. And I, I should really just say that, um, you know, since I've started to focus my work 
on women, mm-hmm. um, specifically just on women and the advancement of women. My yeah. focus hasn't really been on on that. Um, but what I can say, um, just because it, it, it's a it's a culture that I I was um, definitely groomed in, yeah, is that the approach has been very superficial. Mm-hmm. Um, in 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 my opinion, I think that some 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 changes have been made due to some gallant efforts on on many people's behalf. But if something is still a topic of conversation, that obviously means it's still an issue. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Absolutely. if we're still talking about it, then that means it's an issue. Right. And um, it's it's really it's not that complicated. I know that people want to make it um, very complicated. It's not that complicated. If you care about diversity, then you put diverse faces on the runway, but not only on the runway, throughout the industry. Right. You hire in a diverse way. Right. It's just, it's really just not that complicated. And of course, some um, great things have happened, like Edward Ennenfalls, now the editor-in-chief of British Vogue, which is great. Um, and we get to see some diverse faces on the runway. Mm-hmm. But it, it has to be a cultural shift that isn't just making it a trend. Right, right. You know, Absolutely. like last season was about fashion activism. How long is it going to really last? Completely. Yeah, it has to be beyond, be, be, it has to be beyond a, a trend. We know that fashion shapes culture. Right. So, I mean, use that power and shape culture so that we're not talking about diversity every season because actually, quite frankly, it's quite boring. Mm. No, let's make a permanent a permanent change. We we know that the the influences are diverse. We know that so many designers and creatives draw their influences and their inspiration from diverse places uh, all over the world, including the African continent. So you know, let's let's stop pretending that we don't influence each other, and let's yes. give credit where credit's due. And let's be inclusive where inclusivity should happen, which, you know, in my opinion, is everywhere. Yes. But if we're still talking about it, that means that someone hasn't taken it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. I was uh, our church a couple weeks ago had done this um, this sermon series on race and race in the church and kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, coming at it from a biblical perspective. And, um, and one of the, they showed this video clip and uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes had made a a comment, (laughs) which I love that guy. Um, But he had said something really interesting where he used the analogy of um, what, if you look at the human body, when something is hurting, when you have a pain, whether say like your knee hurts, Usually that is an indicator to you to look into that issue mm-hmm, and maybe it's mm-hmm. a sign or if you get a headache or your your throat hurts, that pain is a signal to you, yourself or your body that there's something wrong mm-hmm. and to look into it because you, you don't ignore it once you feel the pain, the, the physical pain. And he said that um, that's just you know, he's like these things, these issues of of race and and diversity and you know cultural challenges and um, tension, they've always been there. But when mm-hmm. they start getting talked about and you're seeing them at the forefront of the media, and you know, obviously the way we consume media is so different now than we did, you know, fifteen, you know, even five years ago, but ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty, fifty years ago, you know, that's just the cultural. That's the cultural knee hurting. That mm. that is a sign of a greater, larger issue, and and mm. and what when you finally realize that there's that pain, then what do you do? You rehabilitate it, or you fix it, or you you do something to take care of the pain and and the problem. Yeah, you get to the One bottom of, my of it. Great teachers says that um, pain is an acronym for pay attention inwards now. Mm, yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's something that that needs to be paid attention to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. 
Um, now, as we kind of wrap up here, um, I honestly could sit here and talk to you all day. And I, I say that a lot, but I really like, I genuinely mean it. I just, I'm, I, I, I've I, enjoyed the conversation. I love, I love your perspective. Um, I just, I, I respect, I respect you in so many ways. Um, and just, I, I think your, your voice is so valuable. Um, and I love your experience and the way that you just, you know, you, you took something, uh, from, you know, that you experienced and you, you said, I'm going to, I'm going to do something about this. I want to contribute and be a positive influence. And it was painful on the way. So, I mean, I think it's important that people know that it it was, it wasn't just like, you know, I didn't have an, I woke up like this moment. Um, Mm. It's been a journey, you know, it's really been a journey. um, And, 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 and it continues to be a journey. What has been the biggest challenge for you? Do you think along the way? Gosh, that's such a good question. Um, I, I, I think that the, the biggest challenge has been uh, identity. So mm. finding an identity outside of, 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 of other people's validation, right? Yeah. It's, 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 so, you know, it's interesting because I started modeling when I, when I was 15, which is over 10 years ago. Yeah more than 10 years ago. Um, and, and I've done so many other things then, and I've expanded my repertoire. And, you know, as I keep saying, my focus is, is on women, but it, it, I guess because of, of how my career went, that is the main point of, how do I say that? That's like, that's what people focus on the most Mm. when we, when, when, when we speak. And I remember going and speaking, um, at the United Nations, um, wow. actually, no, this is not at the United, what was, I've been at the UN, but it was actually at MIT. I remember speaking at MIT and obviously, um, I was there because I had something, um, of, of intelligence to say. And a, a man asked me, he's like, so what are your qualifications? Mm. I just thought that it was one of the most peculiar questions ever. I didn't, I don't think that he would ask a man that. No, not at all. Um, so I told him I didn't have any. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, none, actually. I'm incredibly yeah, underqualified. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's like, awesome. Oh, none. I mean, what he really wanted to ask me, I think, was like, you know, how did you happen to be here? Right. You know, so I just let him think about it, mull on that for a little bit. Um. Yeah. So the identity, right? Yeah. Um, and 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 not allowing that to be dictated by people's expectations of you or how people see you. Right. Absolutely. Do you think that, um, or have you ever felt like you have had to? I mean, you kind of alluded to this a little bit, but have you? Do you feel like you had to kind of go above and beyond improving yourself? in, you know, outside of the fashion industry when, because you didn't want people to think you were just a model? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Because, you know, I I, I have to look at um, some of these articles on pretty privilege. There's pretty privilege and there's also pretty punishment Mm. as well. And like, you know, I'm not going to be a victim at all. Like I'm very grateful for, for the, for the, um, the package that God has gifted me, um, but that there, there, like there is a price to pay, you know, um, right. if you if you're good looking or considered good looking, because it's you know it's a consensus, um, and that's why I, I know that it's not it's not reliable. That's one of the many reasons why I know it's not reliable. That's why I didn't want my sole investment to be um, based on my appearance. Right. You know, it would be such a missed opportunity. It's an aspect, you know, it's an aspect of me, but, um, but it's not, it's not, it's not the fullness and the entirety of who I am by any means possible. Absolutely. Preach. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) I know. I mean, really, I, I just, yeah, I love that so much. And I love that you, you didn't see it as a setback. You didn't see it as something, and you didn't make an use it as an excuse. 
You know what I mean? You really took it and you said, I'm going to, I'm going to work hard and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to step into the calling that I feel is on my life and I'm going to yeah. do this. Um, and, you know, I, I don't feel like, you know, I guess, I, I guess I'm saying that you don't, it's not like you were trying to prove yourself. You just, you were like, I'm going to like, it's that, you know, that's it. Like you do you, like you were like, I'm going to do me. Yeah. And, and I, I did try to prove myself, Molly, and it didn't work. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, and, and, <laughs> And, and that's the thing, you you know, like it just it didn't work, and 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 I tried to people please, and 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 my my and then my soul just f- felt robbed, and I just you know, and that's what I say when I speak to women everywhere. I'm like, just be yourself, because everyone else is taken. We don't like. I wish more people knew that that was our that's our gift to the world. Absolutely, to fully be ourselves. That's our gift with all our quirks and. You know, and I'm definitely quirky. Um, <laughs> me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I, but you know, I love my quirks. My quirks—that's what makes me me. Yeah. I'm just putting on some tea, so please just excuse the background. I love it. It's tea time. <laughs> it's tea time. <laughs> tea time. This makes me so happy. <laughs> I think it's adorable. You're like, you're like, it's tea time. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like when the palate's getting a little bit dry, you need a little bit like a of tea lubrication so that, <laughs> so that we can um, keep the, uh, the the conversation juicy. I love it. I love it. Um, so you, you know, so you, you grew up in London. Um, you said you split your time between New York, uh, London and Stockholm. Where, what do you call, where do you call home now? So home for me, and you can definitely borrow this quote, but home for me is inside people. It's oh. not a place. Mm. It's inside people. Um, so there are a few people in my life who, when I am surrounded by them, I am at home no matter where I am. Oh, I love that. I love that. Uh, what is on the horizon for you this year and what, what big plans do you have, um, as we kind of, you know, we're in the second half of 2017, which is crazy. I know. I know. So, um, I am, so we have the Femme League, which is our media platform and I, would love everyone to come and join us. We're on Instagram um, at the Femme League. I'm also on Instagram as Yomi Abiola. And we're creating communities of women globally, power-filled communities. So we are transforming the narrative of power. And I am guiding and leading women on this journey of how to power-fill every and any area of your life. Um, and so that's what's on the horizon for us. And then I, um, I'll be speaking internationally as well, um, as a spokeswoman again about the advancement of women. And I will, um, just, uh, just be like, you know, speaking, speaking to you. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to strike up um, a, a friendship now. I would love that. Uh, <laughs> tea time friendship yes yeah um you know i i'm I'm definitely traveling um with my with my work i'll be going to europe um at the end of uh july to do some work with women there and um in the fall as well that's when things heat up but um the most important thing now is just building this media platform and transforming the narrative of of women in the world yeah uh, allowing women to be to be able to see the examples you know of power that are all around us and um building the communities uh i i have some really incredible women that i work with and we're building a community and um and really just uh stepping into into our callings absolutely amen Amen. Well, Yomi, it has been truly a privilege and an honor to have you on the show today. And I am just, I'm so grateful. And yes, I hope that we, we just, I, I would love to strike up a friendship because you just seem like the type of person that I could just hang out with and we could have tea. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and, but the thing is, I also would love to get some tips from you. I want to hear about your journey and, you know, um, also being a, a, a working mother. I'm an entrepreneurial mother because, you know, there are aspects of motherhood that are definitely work. Yeah. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's what it is, right? Oh, and, yes. and, yeah. Um, oh, I'm yeah. so grateful to you. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for uh, being on the show. 
Oh, it's been my pleasure. It's been my pleasure. Am I the only one that just basically wants to run out and take over the world after talking with Yomi? She really, like I said, there's so much about her that inspires me to do better and be stronger and pursue greater things. She really pushes me to think outside of the com- my comfort zone and do the hard work because we're not going to get anywhere by just sitting back and thinking that it's all going to just happen on its own. Like I said, I hope that you enjoyed this episode with Yomi. Be sure to leave her some love on social media. I will have all of her links in the show notes. And let me know what you thought of this episode. And I will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.